You know, we often complain, this is bad, this is bad, society's evil. But there is a way that we can push back, a godly way that we can push back and make a difference. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome, friends, to the Line of Fire broadcast. Michael Brown, delighted, as always, to be with you. The smile on my face comes from the smile in my heart as we have time to spend together before God with one another, separating fact from fiction, truth from lies. You're listening, watching the right broadcast. Welcome, welcome, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. The bottom of the hour, I'm going to be joined by Arthur Shopper, working with Mass Resistance, and I think you're going to be encouraged to hear about some healthy pushback in city after city in America, even in other countries, where people are saying enough is enough. We don't like what's being pushed down the throats of our kids. We don't like the way things are going and things being forced on us, and and there's a way to say, hey, we have our rights, too, so... We're going to talk with Arthur at the bottom of the hour, but I've got a bunch of things to discuss with you first. All right, first, COVID-19 update. Here's what seems pretty clear to me as we are now a few months into this. Number one, nobody, not the federal government, not the local governments, not the medical community, nobody had a clear plan as to exactly how to handle this from the start. There's so, and I'm not saying that to fault or to criticize. There are so many variables. Even with hindsight, you know the old saying, hindsight is 2020. Well, even with hindsight, it's still not clear, was this right, was this wrong? Was this the best procedure, was this not? Now, certain things seem blatantly wrong. You know, Governor Cuomo in New York, for example, saying, hey, we've, we've got to make room in our hospitals for, for people, you know, younger people coming in and others that are going to be needing beds. And if we've got someone elderly with COVID-19, let's put them in a nursing home. Well, people say, well, that just decimated the nursing homes. What you did is you brought infected people in there and discriminated against the elderly. In hindsight, that clearly seems wrong. In hindsight, Mayor de Blasio of New York City downplaying this at the beginning, saying it's nothing. That was wrong. In hindsight, President Trump at the beginning downplaying it and saying it's not a pandemic, and then afterwards saying, oh, it's new as a pandemic, wrong. In hindsight, certain aspects of the lockdown seem unnecessary. In other words, rather than quarantining certain people who might be more vulnerable or looking at this more in a city-by-city, state-by-state basis, it seems certain things could have been done better. But again, even with hindsight, we're still not sure. And, and we know how many people died. Now, the number, tragically, over 100,000. Some dispute that. It's not, some say it's being underreported. Some say it's being overreported. But enough of us know people, friends, coworkers, who've died of the virus. Whereas, we're, you know, Nancy and I were talking about this the other day. 
we can't remember the last time that we've heard of, of a friend. I don't mean someone, you know, 98 years old that was in frail health and just the slightest thing could push them over, all right? But someone we knew, you know, their 60s, 70s, and that was doing fine otherwise, that we heard died of the flu. But we know of people, people close to us and, and close to friends of ours who've died of the virus. So, so we know it's reality, and then enough people battling with it, very contagious, deadly, but let's let's face it there has not been a clear plan and and plenty of other nations did not have a clear plan and trying to figure this out as we go now interestingly israel treated this very radically and from what we can see had israel got things under control now that might be an argument for the lockdown and shutdown and things like that but what's also clear is that for whatever reason primarily Democrat states, so Democrat-run states and states that vote heavily blue, they have been hit by this harder than Republican-led states. Now, what's the reason for that? Does it have to do with density of city population? Does it have to do with other things? Those are other questions. That also means that the people living in those different states will have different perceptions about what's happening, right? So if you're in a state that much more, is much more heavily hit you're going to have one perception. You're in a state that's barely hit. You're going to have another perception. And if the lockdown in both is similar, your reaction to that lockdown is going to be different. Now, there was an article, an op-ed in the Washington Post a few days back that said, what's the difference? Why is it that in these Republican states, there's much more protest and people saying, come on, get on with this. and We don't need this lockdown. We want to have our church services. We want to have our businesses open. What's the real thing behind it? Well, it's evangelical Christians driving it. Why? Well, because they believe in an afterlife, and therefore this life is cheaper. They're willing to take more risks. So it's ridiculous op-ed article in terms of making that assumption, making that claim. And then a Harvard psychologist or psychiatrist, Steven Pinker, said yes, you know, cited the article and said belief in an afterlife is a malignant delusion and you know, it cheapens life here. So I wrote an article about that. You can read it in stream.org. I wrote an article saying actually the ones that lead the way in healthcare and humanitarian work are those who do believe in an afterlife. And, and Christians have been the ones who have been willing to, to go further and, and do more to help people in this world, be it fighting starvation, being providing medical care and things like that for centuries around the world. And with all respect to caring atheists and loving atheists and, and first responder atheists, and I'm sure there are many of them, and maybe some of you listening would be in that category. I don't know of any major international atheist equivalent of World Vision or World Relief or Compassion International or Samaritan's Purse, etc. Those are all Christian-based and this is part of what gives special dignity to life in this world, that we're created in God's image. Atheists cannot ascribe that to human beings. We're created in God's image, and what happens in this world has eternal implications. Therefore, life in this world is very important. And people might even be willing to make greater sacrifices for people in this world because of the afterlife, for their own future and for the future of, of those they serve. Why is it then that in these Republican states there's been more pushback? Well, as I said, many of them have not been as heavily hit by the virus. They think, why all this shutdown? 
Another reason is that Republican voters in general want smaller government, less government control. Democratic voters in general seem happier with more government control. So there's going to be pushback because of that, obviously. So I believe as much as possible, but with wisdom, we need to be getting back to to business as usual. Now, for God's people, we don't just want to go back to business as usual. We want to be changed. We want to be living differently. We want to be living better. We want, we want the church to be more the church on the other side of this. All right? But let's do whatever we can with wisdom to move forward, recognizing that there still are real issues that we want to be responsible. You can't avoid infection contagion. Otherwise, you, you have to lock in a sealed, lock yourself in a sealed room for the rest of your life. This will be like some hypergermaphobe or something like that. But otherwise, let's move forward as best as we can, push back against government overreach, but use wisdom as we do. Okay. There was a major headline I saw on numerous websites in the last few days about a Christian rock band I was not familiar with, and the front man to that band saying that after a year questioning the Bible, Christian culture and his upbringing as a pastor's son, he's, he's lost his faith. Here's a, I'll read the headline. Front man of Christian rock band reveals he no longer believes in God and explains how he lost his faith after spending a year questioning the Bible, Christian culture, and his upbringing as a pastor's son. It tells the story of Jonathan Steingart, lead singer for Hawk Nelson. Now, Hawk Nelson may be well-known. I was not familiar with them. And, and my heart goes out to Jonathan. Uh, I don't know what his relationship with God was before. In other words, did he really know the Lord himself? Did he really have solid foundations? Was he truly born again? Did he know the Father's love? Did he walk in intimacy with God? Did he have people around him that could mentor him and, and help him with difficult theological and philosophical questions and things like that? I don't know. If the foundations weren't right or if he never really knew God in the first place, then it's easy to see why he would fall away because he was never in the right place to begin with. Maybe he was in the right place. Maybe he's doing really well and got hit with questions and different issues and and struggled and concluded he can't believe in God anymore. I, I pray that he'll really come back and be stronger than ever. May God help him and may he he truly seek truth wherever it leads him because ultimately it will lead him back to God. That being said, here's what gets me. Why the headline? Why, why the big news? And it's getting a lot of play. And it was Daily Mail reporting it. It's a major site, but many, many people reporting it. Virtually every day, people are turning in the opposite direction in droves and around the world by the tens and hundreds of thousands coming out of darkness into light coming from all different walks of life, from, from being rockers, you know, playing in rock bands and, and, and doing drugs or partying or, or simply denying God or being mockers or skeptics, whatever. Every day around the world, people come into faith, some of them with amazing stories. Why aren't we hearing that all the time? Why isn't that being reported by the secular media? Why is it only big news when, as far as I, as far as I know, I mean no insult in this, but, but a, a relatively smaller, obscure Christian rock band and a front man that's not well-known before this. Again, I, I don't mean anything derogatory in saying it. It's just that they weren't like 
you know, one of the big, big famous groups out there, and he wasn't one of the big famous Christian faces out there. Why is this big news? Because it's anti-God news. It's anti-Christian news. It's anti-faith news. It's, it's what the world likes to eat up and talk about and, and see something is wrong. Something's wrong with the Bible. Something's wrong with the church. Something's wrong with this. Something's wrong with that. If you could just imagine if they did the opposite reporting every single day, story after story, amazing conversion, transformation. Well, if the news isn't going to do that, then let's us do it. Let's get the testimonies out and encourage people. Far more are coming to the Lord around the world on a daily basis with radical, dramatic, glorious conversions than are falling away from the Lord. Jesus is building his church. All right. We will be right back. I want to share one more thing with you. And yeah, I think we'll be able to get a couple of calls before our guest comes on. Stay right here. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back, friends, to The Line of Fire, 866-34-TRUTH. Be sure to go to my website, askdrbrown.org. Did you get my emails? We send out a few each week letting you know about latest articles, videos, special resources, things like that. Did you get my emails? No? All right. On my website, sdrbrown.org, take a second and just click on the email, contact. It takes you a few seconds to fill in your name, email address. When you do, you'll immediately get a really neat free ebook, mini book that's a great read. And then you'll get our regular emails. You'll be blessed by the content and it'll give you a lot of great stuff to share with us. But make sure you visit the website, sdrbrown.org, and check out latest resources there. All right? Articles, videos of real importance. Okay. I was reading a book by Ben Howe called The Immoral Majority. It's, it's from a never-Trump position from a conservative evangelical. And I like a lot of the book, differ with other parts of the book. But he starts off talking about his role in shaming someone. Someone did something on internet, you know, somebody going through a fast food place and it's nasty to the people and the video gets out and Ben was one of those who helped shame this person, only to find out to his absolute shock as the years went on that this guy was completely blackballed, that he'd go to another city to get a job somewhere and is blackballed because of that one instant. And I, I'm, I'm looking at this happening more and more and more. There is a recent situation. Here's a woman in Central Park, a white woman, and she, she calls the police on a black man because he has his dog there and the dog isn't leashed. And so she, she you know, calls 911. All right. Of course, ridiculous, idiotic for her to do that. And she's apologized subsequently, whatever. It's, it's too late, though. It's too late. And the man involved does not want her to get slammed for this. She should be banned from Central Park for life. Or, or, or she gets fired from her job. Or, friends, we can do something stupid, ignorant, wrong, sinful. How, how many of you have in your life, all right, maybe behind closed doors 
or maybe away from a camera. Maybe you get angry at someone in the workplace or something happens in a restaurant. You're nasty to someone, you know, night after this, I'm so sorry, or whatever, okay? You just maybe at a, at a sports event, you act wrong, you say something wrong. I'm, I'm not talking about when you're caught on camera breaking the law and now through the video evidence, you are found guilty. Thank God for that video evidence. I'm talking about our culture of shame. I'm talking about death by a million tweets and, and retweets and social media posts and shaming. And, and basically, there's no way back. That's the problem. In other words, once the thing is done, you're now guilty for life. So, so we have a, a culture, you know, caught in an instant, condemned for life. We, we have a culture where there's, there's no redemption. And, and again, you blow it some way, all right, you, you, you say something, you're doing an interview, you know, on the internet, some Skype interview with someone, and you answer a question stupidly, and then that little bite gets played over and over. You could say, boy, that was the stupidest thing. It's, I, I'm embarrassed that I said that. Doesn't matter. You're sunk. You're done. And when it's just people on the street and, and someone behaves in a wrong way or does something stupid and uncalled for, as we understand the story of this woman calling 911, all right, and it plays out a white woman and a black man and further discrimination and prejudice and all of this, all right? But, but look at this. White dog owner fired after calling 911 on black man in viral video leash law dispute. So it was a Memorial Day, New York City's Central Park. So <clears throat> why would you get fired from your job? Unless there's more to the story that I'm not aware of. Why would you get fired from your job for this? But that's the culture we're in now. So I, I just want to encourage everyone, be careful. We reap what we sow. I'm all for accountability, but I'm also all for mercy and redemption. Be careful how you handle things. Be careful what you repeat. I just watched a broadcast on a Christian TV network where the guests told lies, blatant lies, because I know the situation personally, uh, about leaders in the body. And the host just went along with it, thinking it was accurate information. And then that gets shared. Did you do a little fact-checking first before allowing people to air these kinds of things? But, but the worst thing is not that. The worst thing is someone does something stupid. Okay, you're having a bad day, and, and you here, uh, I don't know, I don't know how many weeks ago, everything was hitting me from the wrong angle, and, and, and one thing after another after another piling up on me. I'm normally extremely patient and, and very soft-spoken with those that I, I deal with on a daily basis, all right? But I, there was one thing after another, after another, after another that was frustrating me. And then something happened where someone said something to me and I responded in a frustrated, they, they frustrated me and I responded in a frustrated way. It was out of character, okay? It's all great. It's all fine, fixed and done. Fixed on all sides and done. But what if someone took that one little snippet of me responding in a frustrated way, which would have been totally out of character for me <laughs> for decades, all right? 
And I responded that particular way. And that, that goes viral. And then that becomes a branding of who you are. And this is something that basically happens in front of two or three people. It, it, it's, it's a dangerous culture, friends. And if you're one of the ones that spreads the stuff with glee, you could be the next one getting tarnished. And what we have to do is say, yes, accountability, but with redemption. Accountability, but with mercy. Accountability, but not tarnishing a person's whole life. So this guy, you know, rant, angry, fast food, drive through, whatever. Okay, stupid, wrong, sinful, inexcusable. He probably repented over it or felt guilty over it a thousand times, but that thing follows him. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. All right, let's see if we can grab a call or two. We start in California with Tats. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi. Uh, yeah, so my question is, um, so in Genesis 4-7, God says, like, if you do well, you will not, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. So here, like, sin is personified. And I know that when Jesus was crucified... He took the penalty of our sins, he delivered us from sin, and he made us dead to sin and alive in Christ. But what does Jesus do with sin itself? Does he destroy it, annihilate it, eliminate it, or crush it? So that's my question. Ah, that's, that's a very interesting question. So certainly, as believers, we have to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, right? So we, we must take hold of that spiritual reality. Uh, and, and then appropriate grace to live holy lives and to live above sin. But sin does not exist in and of itself. In other words, sin is not an entity that exists by itself. It's not like a demon or the devil or something like that. The act only exists as we commit it. The thought only exists as we think it. So what Jesus is going to deal with is the penalty of our sin, is, is the punishment of our sin, is the power of that sin. The consequences of sin in many ways get dealt with, but sin does not exist where it's not being committed. So in that sense, there's, there's something for, for Jesus to deal a death blow to because the thing doesn't exist in and of itself. He deals a death blow to the, the, the sentence of death hanging over our heads because of sin. And, and brings us forgiveness through the cross and empowers us to live above sin. But unless we're committing it or opening our heart to it, sin does not exist in and of itself. So it's personified in Genesis 4, but it doesn't exist in and of itself. All right? Oh, okay. All right, great. Well, thank you. Thank you for the question. I, I love interesting questions like that. Uh, let's go to Hawaii. Edwin, welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, Dr. Brown, thanks for taking my call. Um, I have a few questions, so I, I hope I can get to some of them. I really respect what you're doing, and I appreciate it. But one of them is in regards simply to, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Um, in regards to Matthew chapter 5, when he's talking about um, the law won't pass, heaven and earth will pass away, and surely the law won't pass away until heaven and earth pass away, right? So he says... Well, you got to quote it, um, you got to quote it rec- correctly. That heaven and earth, will, that, that nothing will pass away until everything is fulfilled. So much of, the, the, of what the law spoke of is already fulfilled in the cross, for example. So whenever Hebrews mentions that what the law, the, once the new 
Covenant came in. It's, the other one is obsolete, but it's, it's, it says it's aging. So in regards when he says greatest in the kingdom and least in the kingdom, if you relax the least of these commandments, and your perspective is someone that's growing and active in faith that is becoming more zealous in the fact of grace and law in a extent. Like, hey, um, hey, Edwin, like, t- tell you what, listen, listen. We literally have a break in 30 seconds, and then I have a guest coming on. So if you're able to call tomorrow on our Thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast, uh, wherever you are on our, on our board, I'll bounce you up to the top. If you can't call tomorrow, try Friday, because these are questions that are very deep, very serious, that require more time. In the meantime, check out our video, Is the Mosaic Law Obsolete? Is the Mosaic Law Obsolete? Check that out. But Edwin, try to call tomorrow or Friday, but if you call tomorrow, we'll, we'll do our best to, to bump you up the board, all right? Thanks, sir. These are important questions. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. So we know what's wrong with our culture and what's wrong with our schools and what the left is doing and what the gay activists are doing. We we are big on what's wrong and pointing out our grievances, but what are we doing to bring about positive change? Do we know how? to bring about positive change? Or are we concerned that we might be too Christian and, and we want to be meek and mild and gracious and, and in the meantime, maybe a, a radical sex ed curriculum gets steamrolled through our schools and now we're complaining about it, whereas we didn't really do anything to, to push against it? Hmm, what can we do? This is Michael Brown. You are listening to or watching the Line of Fire broadcast. And I am speaking now with Arthur Shopper. Uh, I knew Arthur first as a, a fellow conservative columnist, and I knew of mass resistance with some of the leaders there over the years, based in Massachusetts, but then spreading to other parts of the country. And I would sometimes have leaders on from mass resistance, Brian, Amy, and they would talk about what they were doing in Massachusetts to push, push back against radical curricula, gender, different things, to expose error uh, to expose what was happening in our society. And uh, little by little, I began to see mass resistance growing in different places and then winning more and more victories. And, and then I saw that Arthur was actually part of, of what was happening and part of this positive news. So, Arthur, uh, at long last, welcome to the Line of Fire. Thank you so much, Dr. Brown. Great to be here. So, so first, uh, tell me, what mass resistance is, or tell our listeners, for those not familiar, with what mass resistance is, and then what are you doing to make a difference? So mass resistance, we are the international pro-family, anti-LGBT um, group. We make the difference. Uh, Brian Kamaker began this organization as the Parents' Rights Coalition. Uh, Brian's a good friend of yours. I know you've had him on the show before. It started in 1993. He was fighting the perverse sex ed curriculum that was forced upon his kids. Yeah, this was in Newton, Massachusetts. And at the time, there wasn't even an opt-out law. So Brian and parents mobilized, organized. They fought the school board to stop this. And then they mobilized 
statewide, they pressured the still very liberal Democratic legislature to enact an opt-out law. And from there, the Parents' Rights Coalition turned into mass resistance. Uh, there was a there was a growing recognition that this LGBT agenda was pushing for more ground, more preeminence in many facets of our daily lives, not just in the schools. So I I came on board. I was initially a columnist, uh, as you, you mentioned. I, I I've written for Town Hall. I was also a pre alliance correspondent for Rhode Island and Massachusetts. I had learned about the Glisten program, gay lesbian. Uh, you know, uh, the gay um, G, uh, the uh, Glisten Gay Lesbian Student Education Network. Yeah, Gay Lesbian Straight promote- Education Network. That was the name of it. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Thank you so much. And uh, what? And I was just I was just shocked at to what extent they were pushing uh, this LGBT perversion into the schools, teaching kids they could be gay, transgender, etc. I started reporting on it. Then I stopped uh, freelancing uh, for New England. Uh, then later on, uh, I became really alarmed about what Target was enacting, that they were going to allow uh, biological men to go into women's bathrooms, restrooms, sitting rooms. And Brian said, well, we are trying to expand operations in different states. And they had a Virginia chapter at the time. And uh, he said, I want you to you want to take the lead in California. So I served as a volunteer director for California Mass Resistance. We had considerable victory, shining a deep spotlight on what Target was doing. I started my own hometown here in the city of Torrance, protesting outside of Target. We told customers they're letting men go into women's uh, restrooms and sitting rooms. And customers said, okay, I can go somewhere else. So we started having an impact there. And we stopped a horrific law, Senate Bill, 11, uh, Senate Bill 1146. This is a bill that would have, ner- would have um, limited the Title IX exemptions for religious schools so that they could only discuss natural marriage, life, and family within the within the context of religious training, but all the other coursework and programs had to allow for homosexual, uh, homosexual and transgender propaganda. Uh, tr- you know, transgenders would have to be, would be allowed to use whatever fitting rooms, restrooms they wanted to. There would have to be a full promotion of homosexual sexuality. Uh, gay students would be able to have their partners on the campuses, etc. It would have been an absolutely devastating blow to Christian uh, and private education throughout the state. We were successful at forcing the bill back so that it, it just turned into an advertising requirement. Uh, and since then, um, from there, I've now been hired full-time as the organization director for Mass Resistance. I help to form chapters in the, fifth, in the different states and also around the world. We have chapters are operating in Canada, Hong Kong, Taiwan, uh, Great Britain. Uh, we have chapters in Nigeria. And we're, we've uh, worked with people in Chile, Costa Rica, and even mm. South Africa. Yes. So, 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 Arthur, this is this is very encouraging, positive news. And friends, if you don't know about mass resistance, go there now. Massresistance.org, spelled just like it sounds. Massresistance.org. So, Arthur, I, I want to be totally candid with you and with with everyone tuning into this broadcast. God's raised me up as a voice. I've been effective in communicating the urgent issues with giving people necessary information. So not just sounding the alarm, but equipping, helping, strengthening. But, but I am not primarily an on-the-ground, grassroots activist, say that's gonna rally people you know, for this, to, to, to vote on a certain thing with the school board or to push back against radical legislation in the government. What I'll do, by God's grace, is raise the issue, 
critique the issue, get the necessary information out, audio, video, article, book, equip people, but others have to be the on-the-ground strategists, just like with the pro-life movement. I'm not the one that's there on the ground telling that mother that decides to have her child, okay, let's hook you up with this one, uh, and we're going to help get your baby shower here, and uh, this, th- these folks are going to help work with you in the early years when your child's born. That's not me. So I have looked for years for, for ways to point people, okay, what do we do? What do we do in the local area? What do we do with the school board? What do we do here? And, and a lot of Christians just don't know what to do. And, and I know that's and, not all Christians working with mass resistance, but Arthur, what you folks are doing plays such an important role, gives the outlet, gives the strategy, gives the tools. Yes, I, I, I mean, there's so much we can talk about. I mean, ever since I've come on board, you know, God's really blessed me. I mean, I was in the right place at the right time. Brian had hired somebody else to serve as the... I mean, I basically stepped into a position that I've helped create. Uh, Brian knew that he needed to have somebody else to connect with and foster chapters in different states to fight this perverse agenda at at the local level, county, and state level, and that's where I've come in. Um, We started out, um, I I stepped in, I I have contacts with activists throughout California, obviously, conservatives on other issues, but I've also been able to network with people in New England and other parts of the country, and uh, my profile on social media has enabled me to connect with individuals, too. Um, we uh, mass resistance. We have been instrumental in stopping reparative therapy bans in many of the states, including in California. People, your audience needs to know that we are like the liberal LGBT cesspool here in California, and we have stopped three years in a row a reparative therapy ban that would ban the practice for adults. It's already been banned yep. for minors. Uh, yeah. In, um, in other words, in other words, if you're same sex attracted and want professional counseling to help get to the root of your same sex attraction. And, and, yes. and, and find a lessening or changing those desires. Not only is that illegal for minors in California, even with parental consent, California is trying to make it illegal for anyone of any age. That's correct. And uh, the bill, AB 2943, was so broad in scope, it would have banned the Bible. That is exactly it. Uh, we network, I network with activists and churches up and down the state. We hammered the legislature. We didn't give up. We didn't say, oh, I guess it's going to go to the governor's desk. We better just go after Jerry Brown to veto it. No, we were committed to stopping this. We we targeted the right legislators, and at the last minute, the LGBT activist legislator pushing this bill pulled it at the last minute. We did not stop there, though. We continued to pursue that lawmaker, and we said, how dare you try to ban a therapy that saves lives? How dare you um, force adults to be trapped in lifestyles, behaviors, and emotional trauma that cuts their lifespan short or even kills them. And that's a point that I think is fundamentally unique about mass resistance compared to other pro-family groups. Many groups are um, about publishing, educating, holding conferences, informing people. But we want to agitate, energize, and organize people to do something about this. The left understands this. It is, to me, very uncommon. It's very rare that you'll have people on the left just having one conference or one convocation after another to discuss the serious philosophical implications of an issue. They get into the trenches, they go after the politicians, and they advance their policy goals. We on the right, especially in the pro-family movement, must do the same. Mass resistance, we're the only group really doing this. We are not afraid to point out the inherent destructive aspects of homosexual conduct itself. We point out not just the harms and the long-standing dangers to individual liberties and community morality 
but that the, the behaviors themselves are inherently destructive. And what we saw over the past six years, we've seen this attitude of the argument was always based on tradition or personal preference or religion. Well, I believe that marriage is for one man and one woman. And, and we witnessed time and again how, so-called, how the pro-family uh, leadership or, or um, the information leadership on this issue could not respond to fundamental questions like, well, what difference does it make what two consenting adults do in the privacy of their own room? We have the answers to this. We provide those answers to our parents. We explain to our activists how this is a global agenda that has a vicious outcome that is pernicious, destructive, and it is not going to stop until we... And we're not just interested in holding our ground. We want to take territory back. And that, to me, is essential. In California, as of now, I'm fighting to repeal the ban on reparative therapy for minors. I'm taking the lead on it, relying on the changing Supreme Court and federal court uh, culture to assist us. Um, and to me, what, what mass resistance has done is we, in, we, in, we just impart this to the parents. We impart this to um, otherwise. We find that a lot of conservative people, they want to fight for life. They want to fight for family issues, the Second Amendment, et cetera. But when it comes to this LGBT issue, they get immediately scared off. There is so much threat and bullying that comes from the LGBT lobby. They've relied on some very smooth-selling smooth, talking, um, smooth talking points, and our side doesn't want to cut to the core of this. No, you're not born gay. In every instance, there is some trace of abuse, whether it's emotional neglect, emotional abuse, or sexual abuse. We're not afraid to say that. Um, we have found uh, hey, that hang, on, are, hang, on, hang on right there, Arthur. You're on a roll, but we've... Got a break. We'll be right back speaking with Arthur Shopper from Mass Resistance. Check out massresistance.org. And even if it just gives you ideas, you may have a different way of approaching things. But what can you do in your city, in your state, in your home community, in your school to make a positive difference? We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. I'm speaking with Arthur Shopper with Mass Resistance, M-A-S-S Resistance, Dot org online and shopper is spelled C H A P E R. I, I should have said that at the beginning. If they're oh, looking for you, Arthur, they'll be spelling it wrong. Hey, what have you done in terms of different cities with drag queen reading hours in libraries? Oh, absolutely. And just to correct the record, my last name is S C H A P E R, German last name. It means shepherd. Uh, so if, if people want to look up my last name, S C H A P E R. Got it. Thank at you. At any rate, so, uh, yeah, we have this, like, you know, this perverse abomination allowing, you know, explicit sex entertainers to go into public libraries to read, really indoctrinate and groom children. One of them admitted it in Lafayette, Louisiana. Mass resistance has taken an aggressive approach to stop it, not just to protest it. Our first success was in Atlanta, Georgia, of all places. This was in um, September 2018. We have a robust team there in Georgia that went to great lengths to inform the businesses and the general public in the Ponce de Leon section of Atlanta, Georgia. Your audience may not be aware, but even in the south, in red states, the urban areas are very liberal, and Atlanta, Georgia is like the gay capital of the south, essentially. 
but we stepped in and we pushed back on it. We got it canceled there. Uh, Tracy Shannon, our Texas Mass Resistance uh, Chapter Chair, has done phenomenal work. Um, she first targeted Houston's uh, Drag Queen Story Hour program. She and other activists uh, rounded up numerous people to protest, to raise alarm about this perverse program. And it was our activists that found out that not one, but two of these drag queens were sex offenders. One of them had sexually assaulted an eight-year-old boy, and the other had sexually assaulted four children. No background checks were done. There were no safeguard measures taken in, taken into account. And because of the massive, not just national, but international media firestorm which followed, Houston had to cancel the drag queen program entirely. Then Tracy and other activists in Austin, Texas, again, a very liberal enclave in a red state, uh, discovered that the main drag queen there, uh, Mr. Uh, David Lee Richardson, otherwise known as Miss Kitty Litter, was also a criminal sex deviant. He was convicted of male prostitution. Drag Queen Story Hour pushes this idea of queer role models and teaching gender fluidity. What it really is is pushing perverts, predators, pedophiles into um, safe spaces, what spaces that should be safe for children to learn about reading. This is about grooming. This is about indoctrination. We discovered other drag queens in Maryland who were following porn sites and retweeting the content and promoting prostitution businesses in the, um, in the Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, D.C. metro. These are role models for children? No. This is nothing but the perverse, this is the Jezebel spirit, as you refer to it in your book. Uh, this is the spirit of sexual immorality, decadence, and many of these uh, drag queens have incredible connections disturbing connections to Satanism and the occult. We exposed this about a, um, an, another, uh, another drag queen. This was Anthony Hudson, uh, who, uh, who was based out of uh, Portland, Oregon. This guy has all kinds of connection to, connections to horrific witchcraft, and uh, we, we exposed him. I went on a... We had our um, Nevada chapter confront this perversion in, uh, in some of the suburbs of Las Vegas. I went onto a radio program with the Las Vegas, um, it's called the uh, Vegas Take. These were very liberal uh, radio hosts who basically think it's okay for men to wear dresses and want to read the kids, as long as they're not, quote-unquote, doing anything wrong. And yet we have seen a pattern time and again with the drag queens and their promoters and other LGBT activists. There is a long strain of sexual deviance and criminal conduct that is in their wake. We just, uh, we just released our latest report on a West Virginia LGBT activist, a man named Dee Dee McIntosh, pushing for a non-discrimination ordinance in a suburb of Morgantown, West Virginia. And this man was a repeat sex offender who had molested numerous children when he was a teacher in the Monongalia County School. This is a disturbing unmistakable pattern in the whole LGBT agenda. There's sexual deviance, sexual criminal conduct, harm, abuse. Um, drag entertainment itself is illicit. It has no business being around kids. If I may be so bold, it has no business being around adults. And I'm going to use your, I really appreciate you uh, allowing me to be on the program. We've got a problem now that even on the right, 
like with Charlie Kirk and, and the Turning Point USA, they think drag queens are okay, just as long as they're against uh, drag queens for kids. No, none of it's acceptable. And we see this even with conservative circles. They want to normalize LGBT behaviors and LGBT themes as some new movement into identity politics. This is wrong. It's destructive. There may be some conflict here. Uh, I support much of what President Trump has done as a policy. His rhetoric has been you know, pro-LGBT in a marginal way, but his policies have been pro-family. He has removed all the LGBT protections. He has banned transgender troops. This is the kind of movement, however, that needs to continue long after President Trump is no longer in office. We need our governors and our county and city officials and school officials to stop promoting this LGBT insanity. Mass resistance, we had an incredible victory again in California. This was in Downey, California. It is a it is a suburb, majority-minority city south of Los Angeles. Um, we fought for five months, and the school board gave up um, and relented. They, they had selected a perverse, incredibly morally inappropriate, medically inaccurate sex ed curriculum, and we, we pushed hard, demanding that they get rid of it. We actually walked precincts and connected with homeowners, parents, um, and city leaders in Downey to contact and put pressure on the school board to remove it. That's what mass resistance does. We resist massively this perverse LGBT agenda in full. We call it out for what it is. We refuse to be bullied. And yes, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of this. You know, there's this hate group in Alabama that really hates us. And I'm not talking about the Ku Klux Klan. I'm ta- it has a nice sounding name. They call themselves the Southern Poverty Law Center. Um, they are a notorious hate group that targets Jews, that targets Muslims. And while well, they are just pulling their hair out because they see that we have grown and become more effective in fighting this LGBT perverse agenda. And uh, they're just desperate, and they realize that their hateful lies, they attack, I mean, it's anti-Semitic, they attack my boss, who is an Orthodox Jew, used to are also Jewish, it's just shocking to me, the legs they go to smear parents, veterans, immigrants, men and women of faith who don't want their children perverted. I want to give a special shout-out to my San Diego mass resistance community, Tony Villafranca, uh, Filipino-American, Lily Bear of Mexican descent as well. She's a lady who has fought hard. We fought very hard in Chula Vista. We had a press conference calling out this LGBT insanity in full. Uh, we had a couple of those LGBT activists try to shout us down. It was so disgusting. They tried to silence a black pastor. And I'm like, what's going on here? Am I in, like, uh, segregationist Alabama? I was shocked at how bigoted and hateful the LGBT activists were. And I remember questioning them, and I said, you think it's okay? Do you think it's okay for sex offenders to be around children? They refused to answer my question. It yeah, and, and you know, Arthur, uh, Arthur and, and obviously you're, you're passionate and have so much to say on this, that's a point that, that we've made for years. Look at the trajectory. Where is this yep. going? And if we mm-hmm. told someone, you know, look, your average American wants to be fair-minded, doesn't want to seem like they're being discriminatory. Hey, I've got a cousin who's gay, he's a really nice guy, and I, you know, I, he said he's born this way, and I don't want to be bigoted. And, you know, so people want to be tolerant and so on. And when you say, okay, here's where this goes, here's the trajectory, this is where it ends up. And- yeah, I, I know ahead. we're running out of time, so I'll go really quick here. But see, here's the thing. You know, that has, I found, been the, that's been the weakest point. Someone will say, I know someone who's gay. And then my response is, you'll be surprised to know this. We actually have homosexuals who contact our main office in Waltham, Massachusetts, and they tell us, 
we agree with everything you're doing. We know we were not born this way. Many of them are afraid to get out of the lifestyle because of the LGBT lobby, which is more vicious than even, you know, brown shirts and Nazis. They go after anybody who wants to step out of line and say there's something wrong with all of this or who more so want to get out of it. Uh, Kevin Witt is a former homosexual and drag queen, for example. He's the leader of our Dallas chapter. Mm. He is unafraid to tell people, I was molested as a kid. They put alcohol on me. Uh, you know, and then he went into the drag culture, which is explicitly illicit, terrible, destructive. No kid should be around it. Oscar, Robert Oscar Lopez, Bobby Lopez, he was on the Eric Metaxas show. He's a contact of ours with Mass Resistance. He has not been afraid, and this is a discussion that's emerging. Yeah, and, and our, yeah, just just got to jump in. Yeah, and, and Bobby's yeah. Bobby's been on my show as well. L- listen, we are out of time, but uh, obviously you go on for hours. Uh, passionate about these things, the whole thing. I, I mentioned mass resistance and Jezebel's war with America is to say you have to stand and you have to push back. You have to stand. You have to push back. Hey, Arthur. Thank you for joining us. The last name, Shopper, I left the C out, I guess, S-C-H-A-P-E-R. So you can connect with Arthur on social media, massresistance.org. Hey, thank you, sir, for being with us. Much appreciated. And uh, listen, I've, I've been targeted by the SPLC. I have. I mean, they'll say they stand against anti-Semitism and hate groups that they will not expose the radical Islamic groups that they actually put on their hate list a Muslim who was exposing radical extremist Islam. Yeah, uh, uh, any, anyway, let truth triumph. You find your way of following Jesus, of being honoring to the Lord, his ways, his methods, and at the same time pushing back against unrighteousness, darkness. Let's put everything on the table. Let the agendas be known. Let everything come to light.